1: More disappointment as the team fails to take three points when absolutely there for the taking against terrible opposition despite all kinds of chances. But enough about Southampton. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. And we have a podcast for you. I don't care that it's bleak. I don't care that it all looks dark and terrible. We are going to give you the best damn podcast we know how to do. And that's just what we're here for. We are all in it together. How is this still going on? I have no idea. So here's what we're going to try to do to lighten the mood. It is one month to Christmas. Less than a month to Hanukkah. A little more than a month to New Year's or whatever it is you're celebrating, Kwanzaa, whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a spiritual or faith-based thing. It could just be the fact that you're celebrating that there'll be more football. Although, why would you be celebrating that there's going to be more football? It's like the worst thing that could happen to you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give away our Arsenal shirt. We're going to give away a year's subscription to The Athletic. We're going to give away a year's subscription to our Patreon. We're going to do all that. And by the way, patrons, you are eligible to win that, too. So, like, yes, if you are already a patron, we love you. Of course, we love all of you, but you are all eligible to win all of that. And we're going to give you one more thing that I don't think you want to miss. A Christmas song sung by one of the four gentlemen currently on the pod. And here's all you have to do to determine who wins the right to sing you that Christmas song. A Christmas karaoke song by me, Clive, Paul, or Tim. Is if you are going to sign up for the athletic, and let's face it, transfer windows coming around, Ornstein's any day now gonna drop the orange bomb about Emory being sacked, and you'll wanna be able to read that in the athletic. If you wanna read the athletic at all, and if you don't, by the way, no big deal, but if you do, you can go to the athletic.com forward slash Yankee Gunner. You could go to the athletic.com forward slash Clive PAFC. You can go to the athletic.com forward slash Stilberto. or you can go to the athletic.com forward slash Paul AFC because they literally wouldn't do Posnin in my pants. So, for that, it's Paul <laughs> AFC, and whoever has the most signups associated with their uh, promo code will be singing you a Christmas karaoke song related to Arsenal this holiday season. So that's it. One month. If you've ever thought about signing up for the Athletic and you'd like to do it through us, we'll give you half a uh, uh, a month free, so you get this whole next month for free. You'll get fifty percent off, so it's two fifty a month. But most importantly, you can be part of the decision making. Uh, to determine who is going to sing the Christmas song, and so we're going to try to liven it up. Free shirt, free Patreon, free Athletic. Chance for one of us to sing to you. We're going to do everything we can to live in this because the football is shit, and it looks like it might be staying shit for a little while longer. And Paul is here to talk about it. You can find him on Twitter, not at Paul AFC, but at Posin in My Pants. Hello, Pos. They literally wouldn't do it, Paul. They would not use Posin in My Pants. <laughs> um, what can I say? Uh, Tim's here. You can find him on Twitter. It. Yeah, you can find him on Twitter. It's still Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive's here. You can find him on Twitter at Clive, P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim, I want to start with you just quickly. Uh, look, I I hmm. think the biggest, the opposite of love is not hate. It is apathy. And the worst thing for a football club is not anger. It is ennui. At the stadium, how empty was it? How empty is it going to be? How much apathy is set in? Is the Unai Emery reign, ha- has it already sort of removed The home support of its will to live and and see and support Arsenal this season?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think so. Uh, There were quite a lot of empty seats on Saturday, even though it was a Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, which in the UK means it is not televised. Um, It was lucky for the people who are watching TV. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it was it was a pretty flat atmosphere and in a weird way one of the most damning things was that blocks you know block 6 and block 7 which is behind the north bank goal so the goal we usually attack in the second half where a lot of our kind of most uh, boisterous uh, supporters stand and stewards you know they don't make people sit there because they understand that that's the noisy part of the stadium actually that area was was quite noisy and um the reason I say that's quite a bad sign is is just because usually with home games like this even that area isn't noisy because everyone just expects to win mm-hmm. um and so there's almost like an atmosphere of complacency but you know amongst the actual hardcore support and this happened away at Leicester as well it, I don't know it, it was almost like a pitiful you know we love you Arsenal we <laughs> kind do. of like at the Come 8-2 on, at Old Trafford yeah <laughs> yes yeah 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 exactly it was it was um it was a a kind of oh my god they actually really need us Mm. at this moment sympathy Um, singing yeah (laughs) yeah exactly which i but you know i've got all the time in the world for um i hope no one interprets that um in anything other than the spirit in, in which it's intended but yeah it was like that little corner of the stadium particularly in the second half was was actually quite noisy um the the rest uh you know very like uh contemplative um a lot of empty seats a lot of people not bothering and at the end I did hear from the north but from those blocks actually after the final whistle I did hear the we want emery out chant um you know not absolutely so I'm like I'm near the halfway line on the east side so the side opposite the tunnel so I'm not really near it I could hear it but you know it wasn't like it wasn't like 10,000 people in unison or anything, but I heard it um, and it's the first time I've heard it. Um, yeah. And and I think, uh, I, you know, I wrote about this today. I, I really, I don't think Arsenal fans wanted to go back here so quickly. You know, we had the, we've got our Arsenal back very, very prematurely last season and people really wanted to buy in. And, you know, I was at that Emirates Cup game when we just bought Danny Ceballos and The rumours about Pepe had just started circulating and the stadium felt electric that day for that Lyon game and uh it's it's so quickly gone sour and I really really I don't think Arsenal fans wanted to go here after the rancor of the end of the Wenger reign. but having been there so recently I think in a way we're quite quick to go back there it's um not quite a crutch but it doesn't feel like an enormous leap to be pissed off at the team again because it's it's such a recent feeling and um uh, Thursday night is going to be um, I, I don't know how much people know about this. Frankfurt fans have been banned um, because of issues with uh, ticketing. When Cologne came to the Emirates a couple of years ago, they're not selling to red members. They've closed ticket exchange. You know, they're really, really worried because loads of Frankfurt fans have booked their travel. They're really worried about people selling their tickets on to Frankfurt fans. So Arsenal are trying to close that down. Uh, No ticket exchange, no red members, no away fans. I think this is going to... I think the lowest attendance was uh, Barté Borisov a couple of years ago in the last game of the Europa League group stage. I think this is going to give it a run for its money.
1: I mean, wouldn't we be better to have an Emirates Stadium full of Frankfurt fans at this point? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, yeah. It could be a much better atmosphere. I mean, um, and it's it's understandable. I think top four is gone. Look, I'm a notorious jinx, so let's hope I've just breathed something crazy into existence. I believe the season is over. I believe the league season is over in November, and whatever you think the level of vitriol is, vitriol turns to apathy pretty quickly when people realize it doesn't matter. And Emory sticking around means it doesn't matter. So. I I really can't even summon the energy to be angry about it anymore. I'm just like, well, this season is over. And, you know, look, let's get morose for a minute. Let's go there. If you're lucky to live to 85 years old, and you're lucky enough to start really caring about Arsenal, I mean, like, fundamentally really caring about Arsenal at, you know, 15 years old. I, I was not lucky enough to have that. You get, what, 70 years of Arsenal. Every season is one less. This season's gone, so that's one less. So if you're 15 years old listening to this podcast— you're down to about 69 more seasons. Nice. 69 seasons of, of Arsenal left. I mean, it, it, when you throw away seasons, you're throwing away memories. You're throwing away chances to enjoy something that really means something to you. And I, I feel that the, the the people who run the club have thrown this season away. Um, Clive, let's talk football a little bit because this is a, says here, football podcast. Um, Ooh. He goes with the back three. Look, th- th- this is a bad coach who is now leaning into how bad he can possibly be and when it comes to the back three like most of the bad football we played at the tail end of last season was played in the back three he started the preseason using mostly a back four and it looked like he had a plan and he started the season in a back four and he he tried diamond and four two three one and it wasn't working and it, it all just started to fall apart so sure enough in the Europa League, against Vittoria, away. He tries the back three, and it was so clearly in preparation to use it at Leicester. It failed at Vittoria. It failed at Leicester. And now he's got Southampton at home, a team that can't score, a team that can't defend. And it's a chance for him to say, fuck it. I'll play all the strikers, I'll play all the attackers, I'll play Ozil, I'll play Oba, I'll play Laka, I'll play Pepe, you know what, I'll just jam Pepe into these lineups against these weaker teams and hope it gets him going, he's 72 million pounds, there's no time like the present, if I can't get him a goal home to Southampton with everybody who can attack on the pitch, I'm never getting him one, but he goes to the back three, and I think it's telling Clive that this Mesut Ozo character, who didn't deserve a place, who wasn't in his plans, who he tried to freeze out, is now getting a place in at the expense of the 72-million-pound record signing, who is clearly the future of the club. So there's just no joined-up thinking about what he's doing. I, I cannot defend the decision to go with a back three, and I'm curious if you found both the formation and the failure to include Pepe, and I don't care that he was back late from the international break. Give me a break. He can play. Um, how, how much more of a sign was this for you that this is a guy who is criminally afraid of the opposition?
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, he is. He's overly afraid, shall we say. I think he gives the opposition too much credit. And it's something that oh, I'm doing with my own sort of long league team at the moment. Sometimes we can give too much information. And when you give somebody too much information, what they tend to do is forget themselves and forget what they're good at. As I said in the last podcast, we need somebody who's a bit more optimistic, who's going to remind people what they're good at. Because I look at the players and I see a group of players that look trapped in their own game and not getting the the extremities of their game out, just getting their minimal game out, and in, I just don't sense they're being motivated in a, in a positive way to to bring out their talent. You know, and I was just watching the the Chelsea City game uh, earlier today, and I thought I'd watch that <laughs> as research for this podcast because watching our own team is a bit tough, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, okay, well, what? What do they have? I looked at Chelsea's team, I looked at them, I thought, they look confident. They look look, like I believe in their manager. They're not perfect. They've still got Kurt Zouba giving the ball away, half at the pitch. Jorginho, once you get him exposed, you can still run around him and and tip-tap past him. But they do have a team of sprinters. They do have a team of aggressive runners. They can go both ways. And basically, they they play with a sense of pizzazz and flair. they got speed everywhere. And I I look at our teams. When we're we're down, when we're not where we need to be, we're not very quick. We're not structured in the same way. We're, We're far too stretched out front to back. I've been saying it for a long time. I suspected it was David Luiz. It definitely is David Luiz. And he's the leader, and he's dragging everyone back with him. We can't cover the spaces. We look massively unstructured, no matter what system we play. So we may as well do what you say earlier, get all of, all of our expensive talent on the pitch, keep six behind the ball and keep four ahead of the ball and see what they can do. Very simplistic. Again, that's what Mourinho did at the weekend. He had dire wings and he left a front four to go and win the game. And it's very simple, particularly for a home game, but it could work because what we saw even though I don't mind that shape, but you need to be confident, you need to be brave, you need to push on, you need to push people back, you need to be on the halfway line. You need to have to central feel not so much side by side, but one in front, one behind. You need to really run through lines. You need to be aggressive. So the system means nothing. It's your body language, it's what you do with it, how aggressive, how confident you feel to move out of your spot, move out of your holes and really drive people backwards. Then the system works. But it isn't about the system, it's about the whole malaise around these players and how slow they suddenly look. I don't know if you caught just in your highlight packages or full game that you watched, how many times we were jogging back looking half the speed of Southampton. That isn't normal. I don't want to highlight the players. That's just players who are either overworked, overtired, or just pissed off. And mm. And that's what it looked like to me. They look... Oh God, this is crap. Do you know what I mean? I look Thanks, behind yeah. me. Yeah. Look behind me and my centre backs are backing off into the into the penalty area. They're nowhere to be seen. The centre backs look ahead. Gwenduse is on the touchline. He isn't where he should be. Torreira's running around, little legs pumping left and right, covering all the spaces. Earls looking for when we get the ball in turnovers to try to help out so we can spring forward. We have two forwards doing their bit now and again. It it it's just inconsistent and spotty. Mm. Right, so I, I could critique a lot of players Elliot, but I'm I'm loath to because
1: what's the, yeah, what's the know, point now? How do you the judge the
3: motivational them? piece? Yeah, there's something missing, isn't there? And I don't want to. I could do it, and I could, and then next week I'll be doing it to another player. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the right thing to do. I think looking at it, you does not you don't need to be a football analyst to work out we're at half speed, half pace, half motivation, and it's just too patchy at the moment.
1: Yeah, and I got to tell you something. Look. I couldn't figure out who this manager is because everybody's been calling him the Spanish Moyes or the Basque Moyes. And what I realized is that, like, no. You know who he is? He's Sean Dyche. He is Sean Dyche. He's exactly Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche concedes lots of shots, but they're low-quality shots. They get blocked. They're from outside the box. He sits deep. He concedes shots, and he plays on the counter. And you know what it does? It keeps Burnley up. And oh, by the way, great point uh, from uh, James McNicholas, Gunnerblog Blog on the Arscast. Uh, uh, one of the seasons in Spain, Emery's team conceded the most shots in the league. I think it was with Sevilla, right? Well, guess what? We're conceding among the most shots in the league this season. We have a negative shot differential. And let's look at Burnley FC. Sean Dyche's Burnley FC, eighteen points. You know who else has eighteen points? Arsenal. They have twenty goals scored. We have eighteen. They have eighteen goals conceded. We have nineteen. We're we're Burnley. We're Burnley. We have Sean Dyche as our manager, and we're Burnley. And that's where. Difference, we said
3: so earlier. They've got a plan to get to their front men. They go back to front, hit Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood. That's why they have more goals. And and, um, (laughs) and pick up the bits, right? And go from there. That's what they do. Yeah,
1: and and look, I mean, I'm sort of joking, but I'm sort of not. We had three shots at halftime. And and Paul, this is something I want to get into. It is... Easy to poke holes at the Arsenal defense as the problem with this team. And I think the problem with Emery is he keeps trying to figure out how he can make us more defensively sound because he's worried about the amount of goals we are conceding. When in fact, it is the lack of coherent, uh, consistent attacking play that is making us so bad. Three shots at home at halftime against Southampton. And it's the lack of ability to put the opposition under pressure. And you know, look, I mean, Paul, if you're Southampton and the other team isn't getting shots and isn't isn't really coming at you, suddenly you think, we can go have a go at these guys. We can go get yeah. them. We can go get yeah. ours and, and, and try to put them under pressure. And you see that fear in our defense, and you see that lack of fear in their attackers. So I'm curious to get your take. For all of the bad defending and the goals we concede, don't you think that the problem with Arsenal stems from the fact that we don't put the opposition under pressure? We don't create the attacking moves we need to?
4: Yeah. So, like, if you've ever played charades around the holidays time, there's that thing where you say, I'm going to mime the whole thing in one go. So, in, in answer to that, and in answer to what is Emery's Arsenal, um, here, here's a quick quick take on, on our, Emery's Arsenal. First, we go to the Southampton dressing room where Ralph uh, Hassanhuttle is about to give his, uh, his uh, uh, fire-em-up talk. Lads, it's Arsenal.
1: Yeah, exactly.
4: Now we go to the Arsenal dressing room where Emery is about to fire up his team.
1: Lads, it, it, it's Southampton. Ah! <laughs> Here's all the ways we can hurt
4: is. you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, actually, uh, who didn't listen to the Arscast today? Uh, it, it was, I mean, it's always really good. Uh, it, it's, it's a really good prep for this pod. It saves me a lot of work. Oh, God, um, yes. Yes, and
1: to be but, fair, they gave a, a shout out to the uh, to the Discord to our our Patreon Discord. So if they keep doing that, we can just cancel our podcast.
4: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, um, uh, they just did a, a, an excellent job, I got to say. And when you look at how Emery is approaching uh, his games, he's just basically he's gone from protagonist to antagonist. Uh, if we were, uh, I think he did have a game or two of trying to be a protagonist, but this is a club that needs to be protagonists. Um, I, I fully get the fact that all those shots against us are mostly low XG, so when you average it out, our XG against isn't as terrible as our shots against. But it just means you're seeding the game to the other team. And I fully get that playing five at the back or three at the back isn't necessarily defensive, but it always is when when Emery is doing it. And to your point, and to, you know, um, Clive used the term, the body language. I don't know if you can have body language of a team, but I think it's it's a great term because it's how we carry ourselves, how how we carry ourselves into a, into a game. I mean, I, I basically gave him the first season. I, I, maybe it's just from having, in some ways from having Arson so long, I think it's kind of, Stultified us a little bit from being too quick and too judgmental too quickly. Um,
1: Well, nobody, I think, I think it was Tim who said this, none of us wanted to be back here this fast. No,
4: no, we were all so up for something different. And I kind of said this the last time around, but... I mean what did he have to do to be better than Arson not much uh, and, and I'm not not I mean I, everybody on the pod loves Arson so this isn't a swipe at Arson it was just a swipe at the last couple of years and and the slime the 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 slide and the decline or slime as I call it to save time on the podcast because we're short of time and the last thing we need is somebody yapping away and just take anyway you're, you're, you're doing it yeah oh, okay um so we were so ready for, for something better. And what did he have to do? Just get us a little bit more organized. We'd throw a, a little bit more money at it, some some better players, some additional defenders, a bit of rigor, bit of structure. Uh, we were up for some tactical flexibility taking into, into account uh, the opposition, if they're really, really good. Um, so, uh, you know, you, can, you could find 10 ways we could have been better, trained better, be fitter blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, and and like, we got worse. In in every department you can measure us on, we got worse. And and Southampton crystallized that in some ways. I mean, w- what did we have to do against Southampton? A candidate for the worst team in the league. We had to outperform them. We either needed a win or we needed a loss in this game just to bring things to a head. And we got a draw, which explains a lot of things in terms of reaction, Uh, reaction across the board. I mean, you just need decision. And it it it's uh, it was it's a sad, sad situation.
1: It is. Yeah. And and, I mean, look, we're at the point now where there's no defending it. Our shot differential is negative. Our goal differential is negative. Our expected goal differential is negative. We've scored tied for the eighth most goals in the league. Our XG is tied roughly for 12th in the league. And Tim, it is is just a problem for me now that I look at this team and I say, look, there is a way that a big club needs to play, not just because it's what you need to do to accrue points, but because when you have big attack-oriented players who are used to playing for big clubs or feel that they're playing a certain way, you know... Even with Jose Mourinho, we saw it like these players don't want to sit deep and counter and pick their opportunities and get five shots a game. They want to be in the box, wreaking havoc, shooting at goal. You know, And and so they're not even if this plan were somehow sensible, it is not sensible with this calibration, with this collection of players. But what I want to get to you on is is the halftime switch. You know, Ted Knutson at Stats Bomb has made a good point on his podcast that Emery's teams just throw away too many halves of football. So what does it say that we're level at halftime, right? I believe we were, right? 1-1? One, one. Yep. And he changes to the back four and brings Pepe on. If you're level at halftime and you feel you had the right plan from the start, then theoretically yep. that plan should still be good and you should go on to win the game. To yep. me it says that this is a guy who even within a 45-minute period, can't find any conviction with the approach he wants his players to take. So as a player, how can you have any confidence in the plan? And and how worrying is it, Tim, that you see this pattern, starting with one approach and abandoning it quickly, regardless of the game state?
2: Uh, yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot. And I, and I think that's why, and again, I'm reading into this and speculating, I think that's why the players have just kind of lost the thread have kind of mentally checked out um I mean you look you have someone like Pepe on the bench your plan is probably to be, bring him on ASAP uh, whether that's half time or the 60th minute or whatever um and I, I suppose it could have been a bit of a plan but but like you say when it's level at half time and you've just equalized then you're right like if if you've got kind of faith in what you're doing then you know, perhaps you keep it going to the 60th minute. Um, and, and I think, you know, to your point about playing like the wrong type of football for a top six kind of club. Um, and again, I think James made this point on a, on the Askcast. So maybe like Emery would be better at like Chelsea or someone like that. Who, this part has gotten better since it became a subsidiary. of the Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Um, you know, a, a set of fans and probably a set of players who are more used to that reactive style. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, it's a spectacular misjudgment with this collection of players. Because the thing I keep looking at is, I just think, look at where your talent is. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I I have this theory about a lot of managers, right? And and the reason a lot of them just end up finding their level and are never able to break beyond their level is because they kind of find something that works by accident. Because they don't really, like, I'm thinking of managers like Pulis, Allardyce, um you know Moyes even guys who flit around like who get bad teams to become average teams Dice yeah 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 yeah. he's 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 another one like that um and but the thing is I, I think a lot of them kind of stumble on something because what they do is they then get promoted into better jobs And they just keep doing the same thing they were doing with the crap like relegation bound set of players and they don't adjust and they don't adapt. And that's what that's that's when because like, look, very few managers start at the very top. They all have to climb. They all have to like go up the ladder to some extent, some more than others. But. What the really good ones do is they're actually good at management and they know what they're doing. And they think, OK, I've got a different team now, so I'll do something different with this set of players. And I've got this is where the talent is and this is how this team is comfortable and this is how I see them playing. Whereas the bad managers, they just go, I'm going to do the same thing I did in my last job and hope it works. And that's what Una Hemmer is doing because... There is just no way he could have inherited this job, looked at this team and gone. Yeah, what I'm going to do is make them really conservative and sit back um, and make them terrified of the opposition. Because like, you know, I, like you say, that that's probably ill fitted to most kind of top four slash six teams. But to this squad in particular, it's like you've got a Bamiang, Ozil, Lacazette, Pepe. You know, even someone like Ceballos, who's who's a Real Madrid player and one they're not, they're not giving up on yet, which which says something for him. Um, you know, and you've decided to lean into Socrates, David Luiz, and Granit Xhaka. Like, like, what are you doing? Like, what mm. are you thinking? Looking at this collection of players and doing that. And and one of the things I'm really curious about, and again, I don't know the answer, is all this kind of. Um, You know, making the opposition seem like an absolute monster in the mind of his own of his own players, like because look, it's 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 not a bad thing. It's a good thing to look at the opposition. It's a good thing to have like action plans for things that they might do. That's a good thing, but. A, you can do it too much, which I think it's fairly obvious he is. But mm-hmm. does he ever look at the opposition's weaknesses? That, yes,
1: does I was he... just going to say, look at where you can hurt them, not where they yeah. can hurt you. You're Arsenal, they're Southampton.
2: Exactly. Does he Does he ever, and maybe he does, I kind of doubt it, does he ever go, they're right back, he switches off all the time, go for him, Abameyang, go over there, he's weak. You know, Have you ever heard the expression, find the dope? Mm. Um, I, yeah. I, think it was, I, I
1: mean, right before I got really high that one time. Oh, no. Did you mean <laughs> something else?
2: <laughs> it was that no, I, I first heard the expression Graham Souness said it that when he was playing for Liverpool in the European Cup, obviously they couldn't do video analysis of um, the teams they were playing. So like Paisley used to tell his players, first throw in, you get race over and take it as quickly as possible and look at the opposition, look at who's switched off. Look at who's turned their back and who isn't looking. And once you've seen that player, target them. What, what, if, what if they're all
1: playing for your team, though? Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and well, that
2: that kind of comes to mind with Southampton's first goal, mm-hmm. right? Find the dope. There's yeah, about there's all of us. Yeah. I mean, f- find the one that isn't the dope there, basically. <laughs> harder, but yeah, but but yeah, like he can surely he can use this video analysis and this stuff that you know isn't bad stuff just use it slightly differently and I don't it just seems to me that the worst things are getting the more he's retreating into his floors and yeah the ceiling's just fallen in basically
1: yeah and you look at it and like I was looking at a chart today Tammy Abraham is getting among the most shots with among the highest XG per shot in the Premier League that is a sign that Tammy Abraham is an excellent player but I can tell you something I think Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is every good every bit as good as Tammy Abraham and he's just not getting the volume of shots to do that and like It makes me sad because I don't think Lampard is a genius, but I think he figured out I'm going to get Tammy Abraham, you know, into the box, and we're going to get him the ball, and that's you know that's going to be our priority because Um, my yeah go ahead.
2: the, The same with Mason Mount. Have you looked at his shot stats? Like, he doesn't seem to understand that he has teammates. He's just shoot, shoot, shoot. And actually, if you ever watch Lampard play, (laughs) you can probably understand why he would encourage his players to do that because he made a career of doing that, just shooting on sight. And yeah, that's what Chelsea do.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you something. Look, you made a point about managers changing. Look, Pep Guardiola's never won without the most talent. But there's something to be said for being the type of coach who can be good with the most talent. Maybe Unai Emery is the type of coach who is better with less talent. You know, I mean, there are types of coaches to coach talented teams. There are types of coaches to coach grinders. There are types of coaches to coach defensive teams. I just, the fit is all wrong. And Clive, you made a funny point in the chat here in Skype. We were bringing up the halftime subs and the fact that he he can't even commit to his, his plan for a half. And you said, you know what? He did this last year a lot, and I loved it then. And I'm sorry if I just outed your comment, by the way, but I think it's a really important point because last year when he made these halftime subs, we looked at it and we were like, finally, a manager who reacts when it's not going right and makes changes. And that was the right response from us. We do want a manager who reacts when it's going wrong and makes changes. The problem now is what we realize is it's actually the sign of a manager who doesn't have any conviction to a successful approach. And so he's constantly having to adjust and change. I'd love the idea of a manager who, If we're having a bad half, changes it at halftime. I don't want a manager who has to do that every fucking game and really has no internal compass about which direction the tactics should be pointing. Um, So the other thing I want to ask about from you, Clive, though, is the irony, of course, though, is, and maybe some of this is squad construction, which is not his fault, but the thing I notice is, so at halftime, he changes it, and he brings on Pepe, and he goes to a back four, and we have a better period, but it also forces Aubameyang a lot further out wide. And I don't think he has a feel for how to get the best players into the best positions. And I think he's scared to make the choices he has to make to make that happen, which is probably just pick one of Lacazette or Aubameyang. Um, let's, let's talk about the period that he called the best 20 minutes of our season, which I think is pretty hilarious. Um, that period where we were more effective. What worked during that period where we were on top of them a little bit. And and why do you think we weren't able to hold on to that?
3: Okay. So for, uh, first thing I, I do think it probably was his plan to go back three to start, have a look at the game. I'm just going to say, as I see it, right. Have a look at the game. We did the back three last game, have a level of continuity, have a look at the game, see where we are. Pepe coming on at halftime. Did that a lot last year, threw away halves of football. We found it quite Interesting. Yeah, it was we, um, new and we didn't
1: know what we were seeing.
3: <laughs> yeah, we found it quite interesting. We found this is exciting because the Arsenal 70-minute substitution, we got bored of that for the last 10 years. This guy's making changes at half-time. This is great. You know what I mean? 22 game unbeaten run. Okay, the underlying stats are not great, but you know what? Let's give this guy a chance. Let's give this guy a chance. And then people started to question if was this a plan or was this a lack of confidence in his own plan, initial plan. So, at the moment... People are on the other way because there's no credit in the bank. We we understand that. Um, maybe I, I'm somebody that doesn't mind the back three, particularly away from home. But at home against Southampton, maybe you should have um got a 4 2 3 1, how we sort of went after half time. And what that does is it's, it sends a message. It sends a message to your opposition that we're that we're coming for you. And guess what? They step away. You know, I thought you may United um versus um blah, Jeffrey United the weekend. Maynard were flying 3-2 up. They take off Martial. Why do that? As soon as you do that, you send the message to your position that you're going to step back. And they did step back and conceded the goal. What we did sent send the message that we're coming for you and then we went for them. and was unfortunate not to you know get ahead in that period. That was probably the key point in the match. If we'd have got ahead in that period. I think we'd have gone away and won it. Now, for me, what we have now is we have a front four. We have a front four almost in a diamond shape. Now the fact that Yang's out on the left end, that's a recruitment issue. That isn't Emery's issue. He, we, he had those two players. Lacazette, you can easily think, you know, say his contribution was a man of the match type contribution, and so Yang's fallen off the of the charts a little bit. They tend to play well, quite well together. We know that's not a perfect fit. We know that's not the best use of hundred million pound buying two centre forwards in the same position. You're forcing yourself to play a front two. If you play a front two, I'll tell you what, let's spend 72 million pounds on somebody else who really needs to be part of a front three. So you're forced into a system which is unbalanced or forces you to make choices. And, you know, it's an issue... And he wants an to issue. split
1: the baby. Do one for one half and do the other for the other.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very difficult. <laughs> he doesn't quite commit to one or the other, right? So yeah. he doesn't quite commit. And it, it's a difficult challenge. It's a difficult one for him. Let's be honest. If we was in the same situation... You know, which, which is the best route to go at home? Use the use of structure of Lacazette and spin around him and overload. There are options, and um, at times he chooses the wrong one. Right, So for me, just, just a little bit more, uh, an extra forward in the forward areas, extra breakaway speed, extra targets for Ozil, extra targets to connect into wide areas. We looked a bit more normal. With a little bit of... I always look at the speed and movement. I always look at the body language. I always look at how a player does off the first touch as he go forward, as he burst out of his hole. I look for those things. It tells you where they are confidence-wise. And we saw that for a period, and we looked a bit more like us. But again, we are so brittle confidence-wise. We are so brittle defensively. We are so brittle in midfield. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna whisper it really quietly. But I I I think we're 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 missing the structure of our of our of our captain, uh, our ex captain, shall we say? We're I think we shall say because stru- he is
1: our ex captain.
5: <laughs>
3: uh, our ex captain. We're missing that type in there. I still feel we, I still feel we lack a bit of structure in the midfield. I'm not saying that's the um that's the absolute perfect option, but. I'm not too sure these two young lads running around in there are. I've got the strength, the personality, game after game to hold Arsenal's midfield. In fact, I'm pretty sure they can't. Right, so we need something else in there, and I think that's affecting the structure at the back. But going forward, uh, Tim alluded to let's just give the four a go. Let's just give them a go and make sure they get as much of the ball as possible, and have all the water carriers behind them trying to shut the back door. Let's just lean into that for a while.
1: Mm. The only thing I'll say about the Shaka comment, I see where you're coming from because if I project in my head what I think Shaka could do or could add, I'd say, yeah, maybe we're missing that. But then I think about the Shaka we've had this season and the way he's played, he hasn't given it to us either. And to be fair to Ganduzi, you know, this is a game that passed a lot of players by, especially in the first half, but he was our leading passer. He was our leading passage percentage passer from the midfield. And most of those passes went to players like. Ozil, you know, like to the mid, you know, Torreira, Tierney. He wasn't passing back to the center back. So. Are we doing
3: Are we doing a rewatch of this game, mate, this week? Oh, my God. Why do you hate me? If we are, I will show you. All right. Let, let's bad, do it. We'll do a rewatch. and bad let, let's, let's
1: pick on the guy we most need to succeed at our soul for the next decade. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah no, that's I, I, I no, to, hey, if he deserves you you it. I add a comment mustn't
3: on Yeah, yeah, yeah. We mustn't yeah. do this. We mustn't just go to past stats and say someone had a good game. No, I agree with I you. Could, I could absolutely destroy out in literally five of highlights and, honestly, and by the way not I, I'm good.
1: not I'm not saying it a good game I'm saying there were still things he did in the game that were that were decent and and I think in general especially in the first half the midfield didn't work but I would contend that since Ramsey left we haven't had a midfield in the back three that looked even remotely functional uh Paul why don't you come in with your with your Torreira comment
4: yeah so I don't want to argue with clive because i'd lose so i'll argue with you on behalf of clive and um, where where the you quite clearly
1: win i guess is the inference there
4: <laughs> <laughs> lose less badly i love you uh, i mean the thing about chaka providing structure um i think it's unfair on the two lads as as we refer to them because although uh, emery's plopped in Gendouzi and torreira and said have at it he hasn't really he's kind of Confu- then gone and muddied the water so that the guy who should give structure, Terrera, is asked to do all sorts of things or they're in there as a balanced pair, which they shouldn't really be. Terrera should be the guy who, who becomes the anchor, Chaka's role. And yes, I know he isn't performing at the level, but we could we could all come up with 10 reasons why not uh, that, are, that are outside of him. Um, so uh, I don't think you can judge this pairing of Ganduzzi and Torreira and say oh well that's that's the way it has to be if you made Terrera the the anchor he knows where to be at all points in a game that's the one thing he does know what to do but he's given this mixed hybrid role from game to game where he's an eight eight slash ten he's a pair but he's kind of equal with Ganduzzi but Emery likes to play a player who'll drop deep and pass from deep like Chaka does. So actually, Gendouzi has a lot of those Chaka responsibilities. And I, I, I think this is just another instance of the manager confusing people by chopping changing and not giving clear responsibilities. I I would like don't know it for a fact, but I'd like to think Torreira can be that player we once thought we saw that provides that structure and frees Gendouzi a little bit to do all that other stuff. Chaka does, but not passing from deep necessarily.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what it makes me think about, Paul? That, you know, there's a difference between like trailing indicators and leading indicators, you know, like leading indicators yeah. um, are harbingers of, you know, what will happen. And trailing indicators are signs of of how you measure what has happened before. And I think that tactics and coaching are become a trailing, in, that, that results are a trailing indicator. What I mean is a coach gets in, and he works with a team and he implements a system and he preaches a philosophy and he coaches up those players. And you start and he gets to, a bit of a
4: bump and the, the opposition doesn't know what to expect, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. And, and, then you, and then it settles in and you see it working or not working. And I mean, like with Klopp, Liverpool didn't turn around right away. But once it really started to set in and work and he got his players, it, it took off. The reason I raise this is Unai Emery has changed his philosophy so many fucking times. I mean, it's like the wind blowing. He changes it by half. He changes it by thirds of a game. He changes it every week. He changes it every game. I mean, y- you look at the start of the season. What was the start of the season? Back four, playing out from the back. Tim, doesn't that feel like an, an era ago, a, a eons ago when we were, remember, like we had to play out from the back and everybody was like, oh shit, this isn't working, right? You remember like we were playing out from Leno, like playing mm. short out from the back and then we played long and we went from the four, two, three, one, then we played the diamond, but the diamond kind of got killed early in the, at at Anfield so we stopped playing the diamond and then we we kicked long and we played the back four but then we switched to the back three but then in the middle of a game we went from the back three to the back four like i guess what i'm saying tim is like how can a coach have a long-term developmental impact on a team if he has no long-term outlook for ha- what his team's identity or approach should be
4: now whatever you do don't let clive back in or he'll destroy me tim
1: yeah, and and to be to be fair, he's 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 already getting into it. We, we have a separate debate happening in the Skype chat, so you know it's fine. But you know what? We'll release that to, to to patrons. I'm kidding. We will not do that. We're not monetizing the Skype chat. Uh, go, go ahead, Tim. Yeah,
2: so I mean, the the simple answer is he can't, and you can see that. I mean, you can see it um you know if we stray into the the murky waters of intangibles for a few minutes you can see it written all over the players faces that um you know that they're. i mean whether it's because they're confused or whatever i mean we're kind of projecting by saying they're confused but they, they don't look happy they don't look they don't look like they know what they're supposed to be doing really um and that and that's that's kind of that well like one of one of the things that confused me in the the first half of this game was like and and look, I, I suppose to be fair most of our best work came down the left but that's because everyone was on the left. Like that that was my side in the first half. And I was looking at it and I was like, was over, Ozil's on the touchline. Gendouzi's on the touchline. Tierney's on the touchline. Socrates is playing left-sided centre-back and he's off and over on the touchline. I was just like, "Abamyang was like hanging, like, I don't understand why Abamyang was being asked to play so wide in a system that had mm. wing backs. Like you look at that first goal with Lacazette, um, a Bamiang's like over out on the left wing and then he has to like sprint into the area to get in position like he's not already just standing there so I was just looking at it and I was just like this is this is nuts like and and you know what that means there's a massive fucking crater in the middle of the field and I was looking at it and I was just like I was like we've literally just got Torreira standing there and it was, and it was just like all Southampton have to do and we've seen this all season all Southampton have to do is one pass and they're basically they've gone from middle third to our third in one straight line pass completely unobstructed and you know his uh, his obsession with wide areas and everything like that but but nobody knows where to run when that happens nobody knows like there isn't um there isn't like an emergency action plan you know for someone who's who's quite cautious as a coach, like when it breaks down, nobody seems to know where they should be standing um which is really weird. It's given us this like worst of both worlds where we're cautious, but well, we're how still could not they? defensively I'm, solid <laughs>
1: unless they check the position of the moon and the cycle of the moon and the day of the how do they know what system they're even in I mean how would you yeah, keep it all yeah. straight,
2: yeah, I mean. There's a reason that this is remarkable, right? There's a reason managers don't do this. (laughs) There's there's a reason that, like, Emery is quite unique in this respect because managers don't do it, and the reason they don't do it to this extent is because it's not a good idea for really, (laughs) really obvious reasons. You don't constantly reshuffle. Having, like, a bit of tactical flexibility is, is a brilliant thing. It really is. Like there are some things about Emery, like, yeah, looking at the opposition, fine, good. Having some tactical flexibility and ability to go between systems, fine, good. But but that's not what's happening. It's not flexibility, it's panic. It's it's grasping. It's oh fuck, what do I do this week? Because nothing else has worked. It's just grasping and the the worse it gets, the more he's just grasping and grasping and just throwing you know like it's like the ring toss uh, basically of tactical solutions and and of course that's going to confuse the players and of course that's going to unsettle them and if you want an insight into uh, whether you think it's tools downtime or whether you think it's revolt or whether you think it's just confusion or whether you think it's just um a little bit of apathy just look at the reaction to the last minute equalizer i i, I do you know. have that
1: on the run of things i want to talk <laughs> I'm, about cuz i sure for a minute do. i was I'm like sure i was like did lacazette used to play for southampton <laughs> you know what i mean cuz it looked I, like that not celebrating against your former club thing <laughs>
2: Honest, honestly, I thought, like, we turned to each other, I, I, and I'll admit, here's, here's where it was really weird, right? It wasn't contrived. I didn't get up either, and no one around me did, and that wasn't like, we didn't, I don't know, like, send a kind of a quick mental telegram to everyone, like, let's do, like, a contrived act of protest. It was just, that's how everyone felt, and it was so subdued that my mates that I sit with were like, has this gone to VAR or something?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It looked like that watching it yeah. on TV, Tim. I, and I mean, I, I, there was a part of me, and I, I realize this is tinfoil hat time, but like, there's a part of me that thought they were all crestfallen because they might have saved Emory's yeah. job. Like it, I know yeah. that's silly, but I literally was like, "Wait, when did Lacazette play for Southampton?" Because it looked like that. I want to take a break here and come back with a lot more because I do want to talk about the late game failure to really be able to chase a win, uh, the 21 shots allowed, how bad it can get, what this says about Raul and and a lot of that. And I I want to do that without this turning into two hours of bitching and moaning, even though that's roughly what is, is deserved right now. Um, The one thing I will say about the errors leading to goal, you know, the first goal comes from an error. The second goal is a penalty. But like, I do think that when you chop and change so much, change the lineups, change the system, change it, change the tactics, players don't know who's around them, what they're supposed to be doing, where they're supposed to be going. And they can only hold so many ideas in their head at once, and then you make a mistake. There's a reason that if you're texting and driving, you wind up dying. Because there's only so many things your brain can process at once and do effectively. And I just think you see these players trying to do calculus on the pitch. And and they can't do so- it.
4: Socrates was played on the left of Luis in the first half, mm-hmm. on the right in mm-hmm. the second half, yes. in two different systems. Really good And point. yeah, he got slaughtered. But- yeah.
1: Really, really good point. I just think that that you know why is he giving the ball away deep, and why are we you know committing fouls, and why, why are we uh, making these errors? Well, I think a big part of the reason we're making the errors is because we're not sure what we're supposed to be doing, and and it is just amazing to me that he has taken this collection of talent. In the attacking half, and chosen to lean into to this approach, I would say this approach. There's an approach. So here's what we'll do. We'll take a break, break, quick break. We'll come back with more. I do want to let you know, by the way, in the new year we are going to back off doing a lot of promotion. So we're going to have a new year that is sort of promotion free for a while, um, and that is. Uh, sort of my way of saying thank you for, you know, those of you who are not interested in it, putting up with the promotions uh, leading into the holidays. Again, if you want to hear a Christmas song from me, from Clive, from Paul, or from Tim, all you have to do if you were thinking of signing up for The Athletic is go to theathletic.com forward slash Yankee or Stilberto or Clive AFC or Paul A.F.C. because they wouldn't do positive in my pants, which is understandable. Uh, and whoever wins, meaning the most signups associated with their promo code, will be singing to you for the holidays. So we'll take a quick break and do the dumbest thing imaginable, which is promote someone else's podcast. We're literally going to do that, but it's okay, because they're friends of the pod, Uh, Amy Lawrence and James, and even Ian Stone from the greatly missed Tuesday Club, how we could use them in this trying time. But you hear about that. We'll come back with more right after this. Stay with us. (music)
5: Hi, I'm Ian Stone, and I'll be hosting Handbreak Off, your go to podcast for everything Arsenal Football Club at the Athletic. We have a great team of writers in North London, Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas, and we'll bring you the best insight into all the goings on at the Emirates. And let's be honest, there are a fair few goings on at the Emirates. We'll take you down memory lane and reminisce on some of the most fascinating moments in Arsenal history, and of course, there will be breaking news and reaction to all the big games and the Europa League matches as well. In the first few episodes, we'll be discussing the current state of affairs at our club, state being the operative word. Amy and James will be revealing their Arsenal team of the decade and I'm sure you'll have an opinion on whether it should be Shemak or Bentler up front and club legend Lee Dixon will join us for an exclusive chat. To hear this show and many more, don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic. <laughs>
1: All right, we're back, and uh, hopefully you'll you'll tune in for that and see what you think. But as we wind our way towards completion of this podcast, uh, I think we do have to get to some of the stuff that went on late in the match. And, Clive, before we start to get into the meta commentary and the issues with Raul and when this is all going to end and, and how it can possibly continue and how bad it could get, I, I do want to discuss the way games finish this season. I think it is really incredible that when we have needed goals late, so I think about the Villa game when we just went hell for leather and really put them under pressure and, and played some of our best football of the season in the league, down a man. Other than that, there have been a lot of games, unfortunately, this season, where we've needed goals, and we've looked our most impotent late in games. And I wonder if that's a reflection of the fact that the one thing Emory really struggles to do is send his players out to... To attack, and that they're just not drilled in doing that, and so they don't do it effectively. I am not smart enough to understand why that is, but I, I'm curious to get your take on his, the the lateness with which he reacted, substitution wise, to their, uh, to their penalty goal that put them ahead, and our inability to create sustained prep- pressure at home, chasing a game.
3: Yeah, I mean, I risk of repeating myself. Right? When you're yeah. trying to. Put pressure on the team. What you're trying to do is create second efforts, right? So to do that, by that I mean you, you push, you press, you cross, you pass, you try to penetrate, and then the first thing you do then is you try to steal the ball again quickly, and then either go straight again on transition, or you recycle, go around the horseshoe, go again. So to create second efforts, you've got to have a level of pressure. You've got to have something called offensive distances, Elliot. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot the of ball, things
1: offensive about our football, but okay.
3: <laughs> offensive distance, you've got to keep an eye on those, right? So when you have the ball, you think about if it turns over, you go straight back in, bang. Something that Terreiro's really good at. He steals it on that transition. When they think they have it, they're just, they're just getting out, bang, and he goes, smashes somebody, takes it, pop, 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 we in again. That's what you're trying to create, those sort of transitions. But to do that, what do you need to have? you need to have your distance between your defensive areas and your strikers to be to be really short to create a crowd scene in the middle of the pitch. Something we used to do a lot of when we had a super-fast centre-back in Kachelny, who would push up and it would always be the one on the half-shoulders on the half-turn looking to get the ball over the top or win races. We don't have that. We have two scared old men at the back that, are, that drop off quicker than anything. They're literally defending from the car park, Right. I think I said a tweet, I said they're defending from the tube station. Literally they are. And they're so far away from the action. And that drives gaps in middle field, midfield, which means you can't get second efforts. You can't create waves. In fact, what actually happens, you become vulnerable to the very thing you should be creating, which is a transition. Because Southampton's entry pass into their forwards was so easy because the spaces were so big because of what Tim alluded to earlier on. I mean, I know we scored that first goal, but if you look at it, it's an absolute shambles of positioning where we actually are. I mean, it's, it's terrible, and we do that a lot. It's something I've seen so much from people like Tobias and Guindouzi that, where they start out wide and roll into the centre once they've received it. I've actually done some research and coaching to see, is this, this a new trend I've actually missed? I've been trying to find it. I've been looking at manuals. I can't see this. I can't see this anywhere. I can't see that high-risk where everyone's on the outside and they try to refo into the middle because when you lose it, we're so open. And we Mate, felt I'm not open. sure if
1: you've seen uh uh Emery's Twitter header, but like clearly he's diagramming football on the next level, man. Look at that chalkboard <laughs> on his Twitter header. I mean he, yeah how are you gonna I'm, understand I'm, that? I'm,
3: Come on. I'm for the sake of the pod, I thought, you know what, maybe there's something out there that I'm not aware of. Let me go and find it. I need to find it. There must be a trick to this. I can't find it. I can't see it. I don't understand how you'd leave a centre of your pitch so vulnerable. And because of those distances, we can't maintain something. So we almost become the, the plucky team that's trying to get the ball off the other team. That's finding it very easy to pass into their forwards, turn around and go wide and go through us. We're not great at running. We're definitely not great at running on big distances. So how can we maintain a level of pressure? Our pressure is maintained by individual bits of skill to get out of pressure moments to then get a wave going. And we normally fall down on one wave and then we're running backwards again. Hence the feeling that most of us when we see a basketball game, that's the feeling that you get because we can't compress the space. And it's well, I say I said I shouldn't say we can't. We don't compress the space and some of that's down to well a lot of it's down to the coaching messages a lot of it's down to the strength of personality to make sure your team does a certain thing at certain times a lot of it's down to we get exposed because some of the player types we have are just not athletic enough you know my views on that but to hide athleticism you reduce the space we don't do anything we have unathletic players in a big space how can you maintain pressure you can't
1: yeah, well, and, and and then it all falls apart. And you know the interesting thing, Clive, is that like I thought Ozil was pretty good in the first half. Actually, he was one of our better players. And and yet the irony is by not having Pepe in there and Aubameyang being kind of out wide, like he's just distributing so many of his balls either right back to the midfield or out wide. He doesn't have you know he's he's dropping in between the lines and he's finding the space and he's collecting the ball and he just doesn't have those hurtful passes to make. I mean, I I think if you're going to play Ozil. You wanna give him some kind of platform. You know, the funny thing is my biggest complaint about the Giroud era was he was such a stationary target. You know, center backs could, you know, get physical with him, put a body on him, get behind him. He wasn't gonna hurt you running in behind him. While Locke is at his superior and a little quicker, I think he's similar that he likes to go back to goal, you know, that that the center backs can keep him in front of him. And Obama Yang's so far out wide that there's there's no they don't have to worry about the space in behind them. And I think that all that all just leads to the the same conclusion, which is we are very easy to play against in that respect. Paul, but before we get to some of the meta stuff, let's at least touch on Pepe's involvement. Uh, Giant Gunnar in our, in our discord did his, his data review. And uh, it's so interesting looking at his touches. I mean, for the first 20 minutes he's on the pitch, they're all in our own half. And he has just been tasked almost all season long with collecting deep and trying to progress the ball for lack of any other way to move it forward. It's just such a shame, you know, when we see him struggling to realize that part of the reason he's struggling is he's just spent so much of his Arsenal early Arsenal career in his own half. But he did get free. He did get in behind. He made a bad choice. Um, I'm curious to get your take on on his performance and how he's being used and what he's doing right now. I mean, I think the pass was the right decision maybe, but it was a little too flat. He got unlucky with his volley that hit the bar. What's your take on, on what's happening with Pepe?
4: Yeah, I also think he was a little unlucky on that pass. I mean, it was... Uh... You know, it, it caught the guy. I think it was his trailing leg. It certainly wasn't particularly deliberate as a block. Um, and he had played it the squeezed. wrong angle,
1: though, right? I mean, it should be out in front of us yeah. or well, play it forward and across the box. He tried to just play it square?
4: Yeah. I Is mean, my memory criti- of it, I could be wrong. Yeah. yeah, you can critique his execution on it for sure, and I think he could have got it off just slightly sharper. Uh, he, You had a sense he was still in two minds about it for just a fraction too long, so he gets it off a little quicker. Um, but I think as a choice, I mean, had he taken the shot, uh, I don't think that's a 50, 50 by any means It's probably a 20 percenter uh, and, uh, and even worse for a guy lacking a little confidence. And we would have all been saying, Oh, just square toes. Oh, he was wide open. Cause he was. Um, so I wouldn't hammer him too hard on that, but you could definitely sense a little indecision, a little lack of confidence. And, and so, yeah, there's some criticism there for him. um, I mean, I think overall he's he was good. Um, uh, I know what you say about it's it's not a good sign that we, he's playing so much from deep. But uh, as I kind of said before, he's used to it. That's how Leal used to play. So it shouldn't stop him shining. And I I think we've seen uh, him streaking up the pitch on the counter. Um, it's just we haven't been good at stringing those counters together often enough. I you know I agree with the manager. That uh, it was one of our better 20, mi- 20 minutes or so going forward, but it just we the the price we paid to expose ourselves uh, with that level of effort going forward. We were just wide open going the other way, um, and it's one more player you, you you can only say well you can't really judge him in this environment. I mean, geez, uh, he he comes in, he's got this price tag on him. He is adjusting to the environment. He's he's in, uh, joining a team that doesn't know what style of playing their uh, uh, style of play they're playing uh, from game to game, from week to week. Um, so we won't really know whether this was a great investment or not till till we get to the next stage, which is the you know it, it's funny because we're doing all this talking around Emory and and whatever. But this conversation was, should have really been baked about. You know, five, six, seven games ago. I mean, it, it, this this is done. He's done, and the questions aren't really Emery anymore. or The style of play. I mean, I mean, each game's a new a new buffet of reasons to get wound up again about him. But it's the same shit, yeah. uh, different game.
1: Yeah, there's nothing like having one of the worst teams in the division uh, having their their coach <clears throat> more upset with the draw at full time and talking about how they should have scored five or six and should have won the game and, and him being right. Tim, uh, I I want to talk about some of the, the end of the game stuff. And the first thing is just sort of the incoherent way we finish games. I realize we got the late equalizer and we'll maybe just revisit your point about how it was celebrated. But um, for the most part, it didn't look like we had a lot of ideas and they were by far the more dangerous team late. How do you explain our ability to look incredibly vulnerable while chasing a game? without actually looking particularly threatening like like I've seen Arsenal teams you know overcommit to chasing a game and get picked off under Arsene Wenger I saw that but like yeah, yeah. while we were doing it we were also battering the opposition and you know that can happen this is the weird yeah. hybrid model where you neither battle uh, batter the opposition nor defend at all how how do we manage that <laughs>
2: I mean, you can only assume it's that they're not really coached how to attack and particularly in that kind of scenario. or maybe they're only coached in like one particular way um, to attack. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, going back to my point earlier do we look at weaknesses in the opposition defense or anything like that? So when it comes to, cause this is the thing, right? One thing we can say with some certainty is that Emery likes to play games on the margins and treat them all like they're 50, 50 and try and nick them by a goal or draw or, or whatever. But when you get into that stage of the game where it's chaos, um, you, you know, you don't, you can't do the marginal stuff anymore. You can't do the, like trying to edge the game and trying to like, you know, um, sit back a little bit and and things like that you you've kind of just got to go for it and it it just really doesn't seem to come naturally to an emory team which is which is incredible really given (laughs) given the players that we've actually got um and that their confidence is so shot now that they that you know even four really really top class attackers can just kind of look so bereft of ideas so quickly um, and whether, you know, they don't know whether they have the trust of their coach to do that. Maybe, maybe they think they'll be reprimanded by their coach if they do that, if they kind of, you know, th- commit everything to attack. And it's it's just, I, yeah, I, I just find it really, really strange. But... um yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is at the moment, Arsenal, um, there's there's definitely some intangibles. There's definitely low confidence and things like that. And when you've got low confidence, you know, the defence doesn't get up. Um, I know Adrian Clark highlighted in his breakdown um, a point Clive has made on this podcast and many others about the defence just retreating and not engaging. Um, and, you know, the second there's a turnover, they're all kind of they've got their they've got their backwards roller skates on towards the goal line and then because the thing is even if you win the ball back doing that I mean usually you don't it ends up in a shot in our goal on our goal but you win the ball back doing that and then how do you get the ball forward I mean even if you look at the second equalizer clive was right that the first equalizer is a bit of a mess so is the second one I mean where does it come from it comes from David Luiz at right back just walloping the ball forward, and Abamyang flicking it on, which is I I can't believe that's a training ground move that was worked on, not least because it was Martinelli on the left, and that that sounds like
3: a Burnley team.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it does, it does. And and by the way, I, I, it shouldn't go unremarked upon actually. For someone who um whose build up play is often and uh, not derided so much, but um we talk about how he doesn't really have much build up play. Abamyang had a big part in both goals, um, you yeah. know, some 30 yards from goal, nice touch for the first one, really good, really good flick on for the second one. But you can't tell me that's a rehearsed move or a plan that David Louise is out at right back, smashing balls to a Bamiang's head. That's, you know, obviously you take goals as they come, but that's not, that's not like trust in the process, um, or anything like that. It's, it's just, I don't it. It, it's it's really, really strange. It just seems to me that they don't they don't really have the license. Um, and again, I'm uh, I'm, I'm possibly going to make this kind of apples and oranges comparison again with with the women's team just because, I, you know, I happen to speak to the manager after every game and, and they won one nil yesterday in a game that really everyone was expecting them to win three or four nil and um but the thing was defensively they weren't threatened and i spoke to joe the manager about it afterwards and he was like yeah but the way we defend we you know when we defend a one he said like i don't want us to defend a 1-0 i want us to control it and that means so my good. center backs yep. are up on the halfway line and the second it looks like they're coming forward they're up they're engaging and they're getting the ball back and basically they're not allowing themselves to come under pressure. And and that phrase really jumped out at me when he said, we didn't defend 1-0, we controlled 1-0. And that's because we're aggressive. And it's just kind of the opposite to what I see um, with this team. And I and I can only I can only deduce that They don't have quote-unquote aggressive instructions from Unai Emery that all of his instructions are to some degree or other passive and you Mm. come into stages of a game sometimes. Even um, he was derided for saying it, but like uh, yesterday Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was talking about Manchester United and, and, you know, look, don't get me wrong, he's he's not a good coach, so he's going to reach for things like this. But he said, you know, sometimes sometimes games come down to feeling. Sometimes it's not tactical. Sometimes it's, look, we've just got to go for this. And, you know, the, the Manchester United team Solskjaer played for were the masters at that. It wasn't clever or tactical. <laughs> and, and, and like you said, with Arsene Wenger, often putting... Karnu on the left wing and Sylvan Wiltord on the right wing with Burke and Omri up front. That's not clever. That's just about pff, let, let's just throw everything at it. And it just seems to me yeah, that that's asking, called YOLO. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it just seems to me that Arsenal don't have the license or I guess I'd use the word the permission to do that with this manager.
1: Listen, I I am not a professional football coach and I am not as smart as Unai Emery. As much as I can't stand the guy, I will acknowledge he is smarter than me at football by whatever infinity is in football smartness. But there are some things that seem obvious to me, and I wish I had these stats at my fingertips. I don't. But there was some interesting data done that basically showed for every 10 yards more that the opposition progressed the ball towards your goal, the percentage of them scoring goes up exponentially. You follow what I'm saying? So as they progress the ball towards your goal, the chances of them scoring goes up exponentially. Makes sense. They have a very, very, very low chance of scoring from their defensive third, a pretty low chance of scoring from the middle third, a better chance of scoring from the attack third and a really good chance of scoring from inside the penalty area. So it should be no surprise that we are the 16th worst team in the league when it comes to deep completions allowed. And that comes from Giant Gooners' season review of our play in the Discord Stats channel, okay? 16th in deep completions allowed. What that means is teams are progressing it deep into our final third with regularity and completing passes into areas where we become vulnerable regularly and that tallies with the shot totals but it is a product of what you described him which is the fact that we don't push the opposition back we don't push our center backs forward we don't press we don't put them under pressure when they have the ball you talked about one pass to have the ball from their defensive third into the attacking third that's the problem this team has to get up and into the face of the opposition, more advanced on the pitch and cut out the roots into our defensive third, where we become vulnerable and where we're going to concede. And the way you do that is you commit to attack with players who are hungry to win the ball and go and go, uh, uh, score goals. And the irony is, who do you think the top three teams are and fewest deep completions allowed? Liverpool City United, three of the best defenses in the league. So it tallies. And the funny thing about that stats review is Paul's pointing out in our Skype chat that is uh, still not monetized, sadly. Um, You know, the season review, when you look at all the numbers, defensive numbers that he went through, we went through a litany of those, attacking numbers. You know where we look? We look to be about the ninth or tenth best team in the league. And that's exactly where we sit. And so, Clive, by the way, just one quick note, a quick side funny thing. Do you guys remember? We're in stoppage time. We're we're chasing the game. We need the points. Socrates gets a throw in, takes an eternity over it, and then has a foul throw and gives up. Do you remember that? And I was like...
4: Yeah, but I wouldn't give it up for the facial expressions.
1: I got to tell you something. I genuinely thought he was like, none of us want this win. We want this fucker gone. Like, it it felt that way. The way Lacazette failed to celebrate, Socrates taking an eternity over. I mean, it wasn't like a throw in the attacking third where he's trying to find a player and not give the ball away. He takes an eternity over it in our half and then just a clear foul throw to give it back to them. Like it's hilarious, and it, it almost looked intentional. Clive, I think the, the the place we have to go with this now is a few things. We have to talk about Raúl, and we have to talk about how bad how bad mm-hmm. it could get. So before we talk about how bad it could get, you know, Emery comes out with these comments, oh, best twenty minutes of the season, and you know, he's just clearly in over his head. He's clearly drowning. The players don't want him there. The fans want him out. Apathy is is t- overtaking vitriol and rancor. And, and Raul is sitting on his hands. And I have to admit, I felt, look, a lot of DMs and WhatsApp started popping up late uh, after the game that he was gone, that he wouldn't be in charge for Thursday, that it was happening. There was a lot of briefings coming out in the press that kind of looked leaning that way. I actually ran to Discord to be like, I think he's gone because I needed to share it with someone, right? I, I told my cats and dog and, like, they didn't seem to care. And it, it's inexplicably not happening. I think this, this raises serious questions about Raul and and the only possible exculpatory information would be if it's that the Cronkies refuse to pay the guy off and and they're just going to stick with him to the end of the season. What's your take on how we now move forward from blaming Emery who clearly is, you know, in over his head and not going to turn it around to really looking at pointing the finger squarely at like Raul Edu Vinai or even possibly Stan and Josh?
3: Uh, well emery's run out of gas right he's run out of credibility he's, he's in, and no one's got belief in him so you know it, 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 there isn't a debate any longer it's it's over because the people that he needs to convince that he can continue uh, none of them <laughs> none of them believe in him so it's over right so so what happens now now it's about how do we exit from this situation how do we exit I think um we can debate we all had this feeling that something needs to be happening tomorrow morning and something could happen tomorrow morning but the pace by which the executives seem to work on and have done over many, many years at Arsenal is a different pace to what we want to work at and this is the thing, we are now You know, I, I wrote this down on Twitter we are now like everybody else we are now, every other team has a manager every two, three years but we were the, we were the other ones we are the ones that for twenty plus years, we not never change their manager? We never had to pay anybody off. We never had to find new funds for a new manager. Everyone else had to do it. And we just laughed and we just cruised along in our in our snobbish ways of just making sure that we were above and beyond all this murky manager may go around. Well actually, we're just like everybody else. We now need to turn over a manager every two to three years. But actually, aren't we set up to do so? In our DNA, is this something that we really want to do? And we actually don't know, because we haven't done it before. I mean, we don't know how aggressive we are. We don't know how ruthless we are. We know there's probably a little bit of a break clause at the end of the, of the second year that makes it cheaper to get rid of him. Knowing Arsenal they wait to hang in until the end of this year. But now they've got to do something earlier. I mean, it's like, okay, we've got to do something. I could be misconstruing this completely, and something could be being planned as, as we speak. But none of us are confident, are we? Because we we haven't seen this before, and we don't really know what type of club we are in deep adversity. Because apart from the the last guy, it took us four. You know, for some people they should have gone at 2014. Eventually, eventually goes in 2018. It's like okay, that took a that took a while to get where it got to, and now we're with Emery. We all know it's time to change. We've all tried to be patient, some more than others. But we now know it's done. It's not about us anymore. It's about the players, about the club, about everybody. We all know it's done. But what are we going to do? And now we start to question those people and their quality. You know, I know Tim wrote something, and I haven't quite got to it yet, but I know he wrote something. I'm sure he'd like to answer this question. But we're now going to judge the quality of these individuals just when we need to in a state of adversity. And this is it. You get paid. You're in the in the leather seats in Diamond Club. You know what, son? You got to earn your money. This is it. Get the black book out, Raoul. Get your contacts going. Work out a step because you need to look at what's happened. Look what didn't work with this guy, and start to think about the characteristics of the next guy that we're going to need, and the timeliness of it. And I don't think any fan wants to throw away another year because another year in this state on Thursday night football. Just decreases our size more and more, and decreases our attractiveness. So, I think I I don't want to kill them yet, but I'm really close. And if something doesn't happen next week or so, I think the questions that you you you're asking Elliot will need to be answered really loudly.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't. The problem for me is, I had sit look. I don't want to write revisionist history. You can go back and listen to podcasts. You can read things I've I've written for The Athletic or whatever it was, you know, when when I was writing for The Athletic before they hired good writers and I became extraneous, uh, which was the right decision on their part. Um, Look, I had huge doubts about Raul. And I think this summer felt very encouraging because part of my doubts were like, is this just a guy who like, he doesn't really know what he's doing, and he cozies up to big agents, and that's really what he's about. And I said, ah, you know what? Though he he got it done, we made some savvy moves, we made some some big money moves. I mean, maybe there's something here, but the reality is that the the extent to which he seems to have been the guy who wanted Emery to come in the first place, and who was standing by his man to the at the expense of the club, and a guy who. You know, at the moment, just does not seem to have any understanding of of where this is heading or any ambition for changing it. I think you have to ask serious questions about Raúl. And look, if Raúl is a problem, then we're in trouble. Because all you have to do is take a look over at Manchester United, a club with far greater resources than we have, and look at Woodward, right, and realize that a bad executive in a position of authority over the club and and the players and the coach can can crater you. So. Paul, I mean, are you at the point now where you look at that and you say Emery's going to keep us at a pretty low ceiling and a pretty low floor for the short term, but Raul being bad would potentially keep us in that situation for the longer term?
4: Oh, yes. And um, I, I think it's fair to say um, I might be wrong on loads of things, but I was very, very early on saying Emery is, must be Raul's man. And I had a logic for it. This was back in the days when that wasn't really the thinking. But uh, I've always felt Emery must be Raul's pick. He he was the guy who was always going to know the the most about Emery. Um, And it's kind of an Emery move. Uh, You know, he, he works within... The well-known folks of football. He's got the agents, the contacts. He's going to go for a name that's that's just kind of his thing. It's always worried me that we've lost Sven Mislintat, um, who's a thinker outside of the box, because Raúl is hopefully a good thinker inside the box. Um, he's not going to be a thinker outside of the box because he comes from, you know, he comes from the mainstream. Stream. Hopefully, he's really good at what he does, and that would have been a great blend the outside and the inside thinking. Um, <clears throat> there's more risk with outside the box thinking. So, Raul's a play safe guy, and Emery should have been a play safe option. I can see why he went, why he would not have been comfortable with Arteta, which was an outside the box approach, um, and why. He sensed that Emery was the safer bet, and he's got it wrong. But it's his man. Um, uh, uh, what I like about the conversation you guys just had is I think that's right. I think the pressure needs to go switch from Emery. In, in some ways, we won't. But we should stop talking about Emery. That's done and dusted. Stick a fork in it. We all know. I mean, for it's not much that unites the fan base and maybe you can't judge by Twitter, but for 90-something percent, I think, uh, I don't know what the Ars blog poll ended up as, but it was like it was hundreds of thousands of people, or at least well over 100,000, and 90-something. We don't agree on anything, anything Mm -hmm. in the world. We never agreed on Wenger until maybe the last day of his tenure that uh, it, it was time. But for some time now, and certainly now, it, it's an un. And Wenger would swing back and forward. With Emery, it's it's relentless, it's consistent, and it's going in one direction uh, thanks to his consistent results or underperforming results. Um, so we should almost stop talking about Emery and put the pressure on Raoul, as I think is about to become the case at this stage. I think he was hoping to dodge a bullet this weekend. It's all about Raoul. And whether he can act and whether he can move forward. What I'm hoping is uh, uh, obviously the narrative at the moment is he's already shown that he doesn't get it, that he's he's still hoping that that Emery will pull a rabbit out of a hat, which is the wrong answer. Because even if Emery does start to turn results around and start uh, scraping some points together, it doesn't change what we what we all know and what we all see. Uh, no series of three or four results changes that unless you know, that, that time to prove he's not who he might've been was the first few games of the season. We know who he is and even a few good results, even beating Southampton. We should have beaten Southampton three, one, four, two going into this weekend. Cause we can't defend. Uh, we weren't remotely in. They had a far better shot at, at that result than we did. Um, So, it, it, like, we're just miles off. We all know we are. If he can't see that, that is deeply, deeply troubling. So this is no longer a a judgment of Emery. That was weeks ago. This is a judgment of Emery. This is a judgment of the structures within the club, the decision-making, the ownership. And the pressure needs to go up the line. We need to stop talking about Emery, start talking about Raul. And what I, you know, my hope is, as I'm, I always try to find something I can clutch on to. Good for you, buddy. (laughs) Um, Something good within our club. My hope is what the delay is this. It's just not that easy to pivot from one manager to the next without going from the frying pan to the fire. And that's that's been in in place or part of their thinking for at least some period of time now, some number of weeks, hopefully like four or five around the same time. They should have known before we did. Because they got so much more information, uh, but may, sometimes too much information, too much contact, too much relationship is a cloud. You know, Emery gets to tell them his thinking instead of them taking a step back and just looking at the same thinking numbers we're looking at. But hopefully, at least for some reasonable period of time, he's known and he's been thinking through the process. And the problem is who he wants to, who he wants to pivot to. Let's pick a name. Let's say. He wants, I don't know, Allegri, or it's not going to be Nagelsman, but a Nagelsmann. Maybe it's a Tuchel. Maybe Tuchel is not going to be a P, uh, is not going to be a PS, Yeah. Or uh, you see, well, the Potch is, potch is a whole yeah, other. Yeah, forget.
1: It. I, don't don't go down that rabbit hole. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: and I have, I think he's a great coach, but I don't know he's a perfect fit. But we won't get into yeah, that. If, Maybe oh, yeah. it's whoever, whoever it is. Yeah. Whoever it is. He has, maybe he has a vision of to where we need to go. He just can't do it till next summer. And maybe the Freddie option is not as slam dunk as we all think it is. And that's why he's kind of stuck right now. That's what I hope. I hope he has a plan. I hope they know who the the manager or the managers are. And it's just not as easy as it seems to us because the alternative is, we're either totally dysfunctional or Raoul's not very good or some combination thereof. Mm,
1: I, I think there are reasons we haven't changed manager yet. And whatever reason you want to put forward, there's only so many, right? One is yeah. Raul still trusts Emery. He believes in Emery and he's sticking with him. That's what all the briefings suggest. And it's really fucking scary if that's the case because it means Raul's an idiot. And that's bad for us. And it means we're stuck with Emery, which is also bad for us. Two, he doesn't believe that he can get the guy he wants right now. And he doesn't want to go with the caretaker for one reason or another. But he wants to make the change and it's coming. That's still probably wrong, but okay. And three is Stan won't let him sack the guy because he doesn't want to pay him off. And that's super fucking scary for our future. So there's not a lot of...
4: A good and the false economy, anyway you look at it.
1: Yeah, of course, because what it costs you in keeping him is more than right. Yes, Paul's got to go, and I have one more question for Tim. So Paul, we'll let you go. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Okay, uh, Tim, we're going to finish with you, and you get to answer the most fun question of the podcast. Oh, nice. Where's the bottom? Where's the bottom <laughs> with this? Assuming we are continuing to stick with him, we are currently on pace for about 52 points in the Premier League. Having said that, we are just finishing our easiest run in the league. We are on 11 points from our last 27 available. I would submit to you that over the next 15 games, it is not unreasonable that we will accrue no more than 10 points. That would put us on 28 points with just 10 games left to play and put us on pace for 41 points. Where is the bottom if we stick with Unai Emery? (laughs) <laughs> um I so I don't think it'll
2: quite get that, but I, I think it will be mid table, basically. Like like and I s you know, you say the bottom. I think that's what will happen if we stick with Unai Emory. I think we'll have you know the Chelsea season from a few years ago, the Moyes season will be eighth, ninth, something like that. Um that, that's where all the trend is pointing. I don't see that miraculously turning around. I think the players have kind of tuned out and all of that. So Um, Yeah, I I think that's what's what's I think that's really the bottom. I I don't think that Emery is going to survive till the end of the season. Um, This this it's already gone on far too long, obviously, but I just don't think they can withstand it. They tried to withstand this with Wenger um, for a little while. And we all saw how unpleasant that got. And they ended up getting rid of Arsene Wenger a year before his contract was up um you know so I, I i don't see it going on for that long um i guess what i'm alarmed about is this whole new structure was meant to make the coach to some extent maybe expendable wasn't it yeah no expendable it was meant to make the coach expendable it, it was meant to not really matter that much so that we could just go okay this one hasn't worked let's go for the next one but we seem to have fall with completely different people in a completely different situation we've fallen straight back into this oh my god we can't get rid of the manager no and that that just raises question i mean we don't know the reasons for that i guess but that just raises questions about the confidence of this structure in itself why why is it so beholden to this one piece that they've tried to make very clear through communications is just that a piece an important piece but a piece of a puzzle why all of a sudden do they think he is absolutely and just indispensable and they cannot get rid of him even at this point like where has that where has that fear come from um or is it just that he's Raúl's mate and Rao likes him um you know it, it it could be any number of reasons I I I find it Very, very worrying. And um, I think my faith in that structure has completely collapsed i don't think i quite bought in as much as everyone else did i'm not i'm not going to drink the kool-aid and say that no i always thought they were going to be rubbish i didn't i I was cautiously optimistic i I tried not to go all in because i know that's what happens when you get new people in like your initial instincts is you know look at look at who wins player of the month for august every single year everyone always loves the new guy Mm. and so i tried to keep a bit of distance from that but i was cautiously optimistic i'm not saying i thought there would be wasters or anything but my my faith in them has has collapsed completely like even if they get rid of Emery tonight i'm you know i'm thinking you've still thrown a season away and a big one and that is a massive massive error and that is your first test in this role and you have comprehensively failed it um and, you know, it, it might be that they're handcuffed by the Cronkies or or something like that. But And maybe they are. We don't know. But ultimately, even then, like, who cares what the reason is? It's the same result. It means that either they're ineffective or they are prevented from being effective. And ultimately, that adds up to the same thing. And that that, for me, has massive ramifications beyond Unai Emery because he'll go he'll go he'll go sooner rather than later he's not going to survive but what's left that hugely worries me now because I don't have any faith in the people that are running the club um, anymore and it's very meet the new boss same as the old boss and I I find that I, I'm I'm in You know, I don't like feeling like this, but I just feel really pessimistic about the next five to ten years now, because I've always felt that while we're under the Cronkies, we've got a problem in that the owners aren't ambitious um, for the club. And you think, well, okay, they've brought in some new people and maybe they're ambitious and, you know, we can have some ambition by proxy but either they're not or they're just not capable and that that's that's a crushing feeling that's a crushing feeling i'm not going to norwich on sunday i, d- I decided to to um, give my ticket to his mate so he could take his kid i've never made those decisions before in my life i've never done that but i just feel so crushed by this because i just think well it's even when Emery yeah. goes like what's next and, and it's just you know why arsenal have to talk about how ambitious they are all the time because everyone can see it's not true and that's why they have to keep saying it and um, it's kind of crushing that they've brought in all these new people and precisely nothing has changed
1: mm, i'm going to give you an analogy to, to a business that i'm in and why what you just said should be the scariest thing for the cronkies for raul and for everyone associated with arsenal i'm in a dying industry and the industry that I work in will not be here in fifteen twenty years. It will be gone. Um, the issue is that there are customers that churn out. There are people that leave. That's always true in business. For as long as there's been football, there's been fans that don't renew. There's been people that don't come back. There are people that lose interest. That happens. But there are so many new people flooding in to football that they not only replace, but they exceed what's called churn. So as players churn or, or fans churn out, new ones come in. But what happens in a dying industry like mine is as those customers churn out, you, you lose the pipeline of people coming in, and so the business gets smaller. And the club is going to get smaller because this isn't in the invincibles. Thierry Henry is not walking through that door. There's no, no, no gold Premier League trophy coming to us. We're not playing champagne football. So people like Tim, Tim, you know, when the spell is broken for you, that's a big thing. And I'm not saying you're churning out of Arsenal anytime soon. You're literally recording an Arsenal podcast as we speak. But, like, (laughs) the fans that don't renew, the people that go, where's the pipeline for the new ones? This isn't capturing the imagination of some bright-eyed 12-year-old who wants to be a lifelong Arsenal fan. My daughter's only four, but if she was 14 and I was trying to sit on the couch with her and and cast the spell over her, the same one that was cast over me and cast over you, it's not going to cast this is a business that will get smaller and a club that will get smaller because the people in charge of it are not able to grow it, are not able to increase its appeal. And that can only be done by capturing the imagination with the football on the pitch. Emery can't do it. Raul won't change it. And Stan doesn't care. And that is a huge fucking problem. Let me ask you the question though. Point blank. We stick with Emery the rest of the season. How many points we finish with? Uh,
2: something in the 50s. Yeah. Mid-50s. Yeah. How about-
1: Clive, how many points?
3: Um, you know me. I think we win every game. <laughs> even I, I, even I, I stopped. I, I could tell even you. Even I stopped yep. thinking that. Even <laughs> I stopped thinking that. I think. Um, yeah, I'd agree with the same. We're we 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 don't need to uh, throw ourselves into that hole if we. This is not getting any better any any time soon. And something will have to be changed. Otherwise, we are in trouble. Right. And let's, I tell you what, we're closer to the bottom three than we are to the top three, right? So you know, let's, <laughs> you wanna know where the bottom is? relegation fight. (laughs) Just think about that. If we stick with um, Emery
1: the rest of the season, I think 45, 44 points is in reach because, again, I can't stress this enough. We've just come out of the easiest run or about to come out of the easiest run of our season, and we've picked up 11 from 27 points. So it's not hyperbole. It's not bombast to say, I mean, what we have coming up is City, United, Chelsea, City, Liverpool. I mean, it's all coming up. I don't. Yep. I, I mean, you, you want us to pick up any of those points? I don't see it happening.
3: Well, it could be a reason why they haven't changed because no manager wants to walk into that run of games. You know, it's um, it's going to be a challenge. So, Well, you know who could as uh, a
1: caretaker because they don't get a choice. You just say, Freddie, it's yours. You know, I yeah. mean, and, and I'm not... But li- maybe,
3: yeah. I can, with the Freddie thing, I think maybe he's got ambitions to be more than just a caretaker. You know, he, he, he well, sees himself as something. Well, that would complicate it, yeah. And, and certainly would. And, and Arteta doesn't want to come into this type of role. Why would you throw your managerial career away with this with this dysfunctional club? Why would you do that? That was always my reason for him not taking the role the first time. And why would you throw your career away on, on this? There's got to be something else. I used to think that we were ahead of Manchester United in the development curve because we had these people in the background. We had Raul. We had Edu. We had that structure. But actually, I, I, don't, I don't think we are. I think on the playing side, the people side... I think that needs to be manifested in what we do now to really think that structure is actually better than Manchester United. Because if you don't act when your leadership is requiring you to to act or how a club leadership should act, then what are you actually doing apart from drinking the Sancerre and, uh, and having lovely meals in the Diamond Club? What are you doing? And that's what that we sounds need to nice, start.
1: actually. That that would get me back to the club. <laughs> Maybe exactly. that's the program they need. Sancerre and the Diamond Club for everybody. Maybe they'll have few enough fans that they'll all fit soon enough. I don't know. We'll see what happens. What a fun ending to the podcast. Good stuff. Good times. <laughs> By the way, if you want a, a little sliver, you guys want to hear something kind of crazy that was uh, brought to my attention in the Discord chat, and I, I apologize I really do apologize. Uh, This was brought to my attention in the Discord chat, and right now off the top of my head, I can't remember who it was, but it's it's a really, really good point. Do you guys want to hear something scary? Just for fun? That's right. If we lose to Frankfurt on Thursday and Liege beat Victoria, Liege are on 9, Frankfurt are on 9, and we're on 10, we would then go to Liege, needing to not lose to qualify for the knockout round of the Europa League. I mean, would you say that that's a guarantee that no. that we won't lose to Frankfurt and won't lose at Liège? I'm just making the point that even that, I mean, where's the bottom? It may be out of the Europa League, out of the Premier League by November, or I guess technically it'd be December. So that's a win. Anyway, good stuff. All light and and happy and, and wonderful. And I, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Tim's on Twitter at Stuberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. The most important thing we have is each other. And I say it, and I I, I don't mean it tongue-in-cheek. The the thing that gives me the most joy right now with Arsenal is talking to you guys, is talking uh, to people on Twitter, is talking to people in the Discord, is the WhatsApp chats with my friends, like... Arsenal fans are the fucking balls. And and it's not fun right now, but the best part is what we have in each other. So hang in there, everyone. And uh, we love you. And we'll certainly do our best to keep it light where possible. Although it hasn't been possible very long. But who knows? Maybe an bomb is around the corner and we'll have something new to talk about soon. In any event, we love you and we will talk to you after Frankfurt 10, Arsenal 0.